Rocking chair, chair session. With Elisa Di Batista. Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone. And welcome to RCS Rocking Chair Sessions, Volume 128 with artist Sammy McLean. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for driving down in traffic. <laughs> All the way no from problem. Fort Lauderdale, right? I drive in traffic a lot. <laughs> I actually live in Palm Beach County. Yeah, so I live in Lake Worth, so I'm already sort of accustomed to oh driving. Oh my God, that's where I got my hurricane uh, like shutters, like the awnings, you know, the clamshell <laughs> awnings from? We drove all the way up there. Wow. It's nice, it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's mostly where I grew up. Um, but yeah, so I, I commute a few days a week to Fort Lauderdale, but as you can imagine, I don't get down to Miami that much. As often. <laughs> yeah. It's far, it's really What far. do you do in your time? Because I know that, um, Driving is a part of South Florida life for everybody is in their car at least two hours-ish a day. Normally, most people then have to commute. What do you do when you're in your car? This is like, the, I think the most random question I've ever asked. But like, what do you do when you're in your car? Are you productive? We will say that we don't use our cell phones because we're not supposed to, but like, mm-hmm. does anything come to mind like when you're driving and you're, you know? Um, well, nowadays I'm, I just listen to a bunch of podcasts like everybody else, but um, I tried to, integrate music more into my commute because I realized I was listening to podcasts so much that I just wasn't listening to music anymore. Um, So I made like a music month, uh, but I just, I missed the podcast, so I went back to it. But I was a lot better, like when I was in grad school, I was commuting then too, and I, I would sort of try and treat that time as part of my practice in a weird way. I'd like work out ideas. I talk to myself in my car a lot. Totally. Yeah. I do. Things to do list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I find sometimes speaking out loud about uh, work, I would more naturally kind of find the language for what I was making sometimes and like talking conversationally in a weird way. So. Or getting ideas. I tend to get ideas and I'm like, oh I my do, God, I write do that like down. talking to myself yeah. a lot. <laughs> too. I feel like that's, uh, that's like a. It's a really underrated thing. What I really like about like phones and um, also kind of like these small like iPod thingies is like when you put them in your in your ear, no one really thinks you're crazy anymore, right? So like, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, you would say like someone talking to themselves on the street is kind of like, yeah. Mm, Cross the street. Might <laughs> need a medication or like, a, you know, hospital stay or something, you know? Mm-hmm. But nowadays it's kind of like, you didn't they you just, just blend in, you know, yeah. just like, just put like, put like something, put like an iPod, like an i. how do they call it? Like the iPod, the I, iPods, I, I, can't, I don't even know, I'm <laughs> not cool, earbuds, there you go, Sammy's so younger than and you're fine, you know, you can talk yeah. to yourself as much as you want. Yeah, I, I think it's very effective for me Sammy to kind of lingo. get through my, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know the earbud lingo. You know the earbud lingo. Um, most recently, um, you did a very large. It was like a curatorial um, exhibit as well as participatory with like um, other artists at the IAS projects. Can you talk about um, the actual yeah. um, event that happened? Yeah. So uh, that exhibition is called In Exchange, and it's presented by Small Press Fair, which is actually coming up this weekend. But it was really an initiative to get artists to collaborate uh, with printmakers and the concept really came from like the origins of traditional printmaking where an artist will come into uh, a print studio work with a master printmaker to like you know develop their visual language Mm -hmm. into an edition into a book um, but to kind of broaden that idea and the potential of it and so the, it started as an open call, and we asked at least two artists to collaborate with each other, and one of them just had to have some sort of knowledge or background in printmaking, and it was really open-ended as to what they could submit. It could be, uh, you know, it could relate to, it could be a performance related to, you know, pulling images, like transferring things, um, you know, a shadow could function like a print. It was really, really loose. And um, I collaborated with Amber Tutwiler, and we created a textile-based installation. 
uh, it was really fun. I've never collaborated before, um, but I chose my collaborator wisely because I could see how Very that could important. be. <laughs> could you want to spend a lot hairy. of time with that person. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, though, because when we were making it, we were both so busy that we could not find really any time that overlapped with each other or very little. So she would, uh, she'd set up the piece we were working on in her house and uh, uh, she we just coordinate. I'd either have a key to her house or her partner would let me in. And we were very rarely in the same space. <laughs> but we were just sort of like communicating back and forth and um, working without each other. It was funny. But in, in the same space. So you in her would, house, yeah. You would go to her she house. She would let me in. Or you would have the key. In, yeah. yeah. And then when it came to, ultimately, we're just building all these different pieces, um, textile pieces. I would she would um, do these like paint pours and then I would respond to them uh, with more like print media. Uh, oh, I think that could be replicated with screen printing or whatever it might be. And, um, and then it really came together during install and that was really the most collaborative part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of the artists in that show are local and it's up through uh, mid-December. Cool. Yeah. And I, I really love seeing printmaking represented in that way, mm -hmm. like pushing the boundaries of what it can be. Um, that's really what excites me about printmaking. I'm not like, I'm not that interested in seeing an addition or a perfect multiple, you know? I like to see the process explored as a tool that can really ultimately become something that's not even flat, you know? Yeah, we were talking earlier that, um, for example, the preview image that Elisa used for the, the Instagram preview. Yeah, I preview thought it was a cyanotype, and it's not. Is, is not a print, but it is so much print like, like the aesthetics of it mm -hmm. is kind of like print likey or something, mm -hmm. you know? And also, other, other things that you did that were more an installation or more the. They just have this feel of it still. Yeah. Which is interesting. Mm. The process is embedded in some way, mm -hmm. um, whether it like aesthetically looks like a print or, you know, I have some installations that are made up of um, etched materials like laser etched, which I uh, wiped like you would an intaglio plate. So it it's used in some way, you know, it ends up in the work, but it uh, it's not always, it's really rarely an addition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not what it it was originally intended for. You're purposefully breaking all the rules mm -hmm. and doing what you want with it. Yeah. It just, that always felt the most natural to me. I felt like when I was first introduced to printmaking, what I loved about it beyond like painting uh, or drawing, for example, uh, was, you know, you're building the plate, this object, and the images that can be pulled off of it are endless, you know, not just in terms of creating a perfect multiple, but like really engaging more with like mono printing, um, layering. And uh, my high school printmaking teacher, Marcia Christo, was really where like my print philosophy comes from. And when in I high school, yeah. <laughs> so you did printmaking in high school already? That's amazing. Yeah, I went to. Um, we have a arts middle school and high school up in Palm Beach County. I went to the middle school of the arts and Dreyfus High School of the Arts. Um, so I actually got to experience printmaking in in middle school too. Wow. Um, it was actually Marcia Christo's husband, Patrick Fallon, was my <laughs> middle school printmaking teacher, but. Um, when, she, when I was introduced to printmaking, you know, I didn't even know what an addition was. She was very much about, like, this is how you build a plate. This is how you pull an image off of it. Just play, you know, and, mm -hmm. and show me something in a couple weeks, you know. And uh, it wasn't until I got to college that I even understood what printmaking was traditionally intended for. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of... Having a, a less clearly defined relationship between the plate and the print, I think ultimately informs everything that I make now. Yeah. I'm thankful that I kind of went in a roundabout way. From from my experience, I took a couple of classes here in the Bakehouse because we have a really nice print shop actually at the Bakehouse. Oh, yeah? yeah, the press is 
more and more often than not broken but <laughs> we we do have actually two presses a big one and a small one but i feel like the the medium can be very um constraining is that a word like mm-hmm. it can be kind of like um that is a word. like really almost like overpowering the you know that it's mm-hmm. kind of like um limiting in a way mm-hmm. um and i feel like you're you're really using it in in you you're still keeping all your freedom as in your expression you know and yeah by by i think by using the the medium in a way that is you know different than yeah Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think in that way, you know, some of the harder parts about exploring printmaking or like doing it more professionally is that doesn't sit me really comfortably in like a printmaker's printmaker kind of camp, uh, which it doesn't need to. But I think ultimately, whenever I curate something like that, I like to open up the potential of it not just for like other artists that don't work in it that have this idea that it is you know confining um but also for printmakers to kind of open up their ideas of what it could be too Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of room for movement Mm -hmm. in both directions yeah i think what what i experienced is that you just kind of have to be in control more or like if you make a mark it's kind of like you know, you make a mark in a mm-hmm. way. You know, it's gonna it's gonna show right <laughs> every yeah, yeah. single mark, every or time, every single <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, every single like um, you know acid or like whatever you do, like very you put all these the powder on it, and then you, you have this texture, like every texture you that you create. You can't really go back. I think that's the one I thing. I mean, it, it takes a long learn. time in a way. Yeah, but um, yeah. I, I love to work reductively, Mm -hmm. and so I do kind of like, I'm open to making mistakes and then having to sort of work my way back. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but I don't don't really honestly make, like I said, that much like traditional printmaking, but Mm -hmm. uh, I started including laser engraved material, and that really like blew my mind Mm -hmm. because something that started out as, you know, a small, maybe six by nine, etched metal plate could be scanned and then blown up and you can make an intaglio plate that's huge Mm -hmm. you know and then that could that could be reproduced versus just the print that you could reproduce the plate and you could that plate could function more like an object Mm -hmm. um so i've explored a little bit of um post-digital printmaking is what it's called but Mm -hmm. um just you know there's a lot of sort of new things happening in the process already so mm-hmm. yeah it's like broadening all the time how many um passes through the press does a a, a plexiglass isn't it like maybe like i guess the depth of the engraving yeah probably i've never it. truthfully i've never found the limit um probably because i don't lift that many images off of my plates um but it depends you know there's different with a laser engraved image you definitely have a much deeper uh mark versus than if you're like scratching into it then um you know you you have to reintroduce those lines pretty quickly yeah Yeah, exactly yeah a lot less control with that method for sure so funny um you mentioned going to a um middle school that had the arts and a high school did you have to have a portfolio how was that process for you going from elementary school to middle school yeah um i took you know up there they have they have classes that prep you for those schools and stuff like that so (laughs) i um at the armory art center in west palm i remember taking a class to like build my portfolio uh to get in and and then once you're in the middle school of the arts, you know, you I mean, you learn so much while you're there. It's not like you're a shoe in by any means. Both require auditions, but um, you do learn a lot that's going to be expected of you, you know, in the high school audition. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember walking in with uh, a little portfolio middle school. I had this pastel drawing of an octopus. <laughs> I think I still have, but. Yeah, my mom helped me a lot too. She really loved, she, you know, she studied printmaking actually 
uh, at University of South Florida and she has always been super creative and, um, you know, made art. So, you know, for her, it was really fun to encourage that Mm -hmm. in me. Mm And was it like in high school, was it already clear that you were going to go on and, you know, get the bachelor also in arts? Or when um, did that kind of crystallize that you, because I feel like a lot of kids also go mm-hmm. to art school just to have like this creative um, element in their education, right? And, and then some reject it. Like I've seen the middle school um, art students eventually, they get towards the high school and they're like, oh God, I don't want to apply here. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you see the parents you're like, no, no, you've got to apply to all these yeah. two, three schools and build up your portfolio. And let, so it kills it for some of them, that mm-hmm. the play, the passion. Well, because already you're you're exposed to <clears throat> so much already. You know, that's kind of like, like I had colleagues in, in, in school, I went uh, when I went to art school. Finally, after you know many years, uh, I was very old, and they were like 18, and they already had like five years of art school, basically, right? They had done everything already, yeah. so it was like for me, it was like, oh my god, this is paradise. And for them, it was just like, well, the facilities in my high school were actually better, or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. I just made this up, but I mean, I love that line, you know? They already had all that training, so. Um, I, I can see that sometimes they also feel like, well, maybe maybe I had enough, you know. But well, how yeah. was it for you? Honestly, by the time I was ready to go to college, I think because I'd spent so long developing, you know, that side of myself, that art, sort of artistic practice, I definitely didn't have any sort of like solo practice. It was very much like assignment driven, mm-hmm. but I... I kind of didn't know what other routes there were in some ways. And I I started to really hone in on what things I wanted to make enough to, you know, look at different schools and say, oh, well, they they have fibers and printmaking, so that's a yes, or they don't have that. So I, I, I don't see myself going there. Um, there was definitely a lot of pressure I felt in high school to go to an art school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they've gone away from that a little bit more and they they introduce more uh, state schools to students, which I think is good. Uh, that's ultimately what I had to do because I, you know, they kind of made it sound like you're gonna get a scholarship wherever you wanna go, you know, it's gonna be an option and I really didn't have that. And so I ultimately realized that I needed to stay in Florida and I knew about all the schools outside of Florida, but I didn't know about what schools in Florida had, you know, decent art programs. So mm-hmm. my mom and I actually took a road trip Bye. all around Florida and we visited a bunch of different schools. And at that point I did know that I wanted to at least have access to a print studio and to be able to take classes. And that narrowed it down <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, ultimately I decided on University of South Florida. Mm-hmm. But it was weird, you know, I was always pretty good at art when I was little and like drawing and all of that, but I didn't I didn't really view it as something I wanted to pursue. I kind of got funneled into the middle school and then and then all my friends were going to the high school and so I just kind of like followed along and then at mm-hmm. a certain point it like really just obviously embedded in mm-hmm. me more and mm-hmm. Uh, felt like the right thing to do. You mentioned um, fibers. When was fibers introduced to you as a material in that you enjoyed like actually using to create? I actually, I guess, you know, technically that installation I was talking about that I did with Amber Tutwiler, you know, that's a textile piece, but I don't feel like I ever really explored fibers that much, but I really wanted to as a high school, you know, as a senior looking for programs. I took a trip to Boston as part of my, you know, school uh, to visit colleges there. And I went to MassArt and they had the most beautiful like looms and fibers department. And I never had any access to anything like that and just felt like I would fall in love with it. Um, And I probably would have pursued it more had I gone to a program that had it, but uh, it it wasn't at my college, so I kind of, you know, honed in on something else. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I'm sure that there's overlap between the the process, you know, that I would really enjoy. 
Yeah, because I was going to say, if it's something that you're interested in, there's seek what you, you want to find, like Maria. Maria does some stuff with fibers. Or <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because I was just thinking about that. I definitely know more about fiber than I know about printmaking, but I feel like the way you build a plate, it also reminds me a little bit how you would do like a weaving. weaving. I always say wrong. Say Please weaving, don't. it's fine. Please don't I love, laugh I love at me. how you say the weaving. <laughs> the yeah, funny thing I is like that the too. kids say wrong too then because I teach them wrong. It's like oh. really fun. So, oh. you know, oh. it's so I mean, cute. I, I don't, when I... You know, when you want to introduce, like, imagery into a weaving. Keep on going. Move on. Then, you know what I mean. Yeah. Then, then you would also kind of, like, build it in a way, you know. I mean, you would start more from, like, you know, the first weave and build it up. More mm-hmm. like... Um, you know, from from bottom to top, less than from lower levels or from upper levels to right, lower levels. Right. So you, it's kind of like, but you still would, you know, build it like step by step and weave by weave. You know, you would build it up on a loom like that. You know. Yeah. So I, I kind of like feel there are definitely, um, you know, I, it's definitely interconnected but also in a way. Like there's visually, visually mm. there's also similarities. I feel in your work, like some of the pieces I saw, some of them do feel like fabric, or some of them mm-hmm. do look like they have like wrinkles in them, and they do feel mm-hmm. very fiber-like, <laughs> even though they're on paper. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm curious to see like going in from the reverse, what that would look like from the fibers <laughs> to the. Yeah. And then also when you think of the paper, is paper in the end is also a True. fiber, right? Mm-hmm. So True. it's yeah. kind of like there already. Yeah. You, and I mean, some people think a lot about the paper that they're using. Printmakers usually do, you do make right? Paper? I don't make my own paper. Um, I've I've tried it a couple times, uh, but not enough to like really understand or know the process too well. Uh, but it's funny you bring that up because, you know, I work at IS Projects and I'm organizing an exhibition that's going up this week, that is an exchange portfolio but for paper makers. And so, you know, I've been learning a lot about paper making through the process of organizing the exchange, but you can create imagery with pulp. And and so, you know, portfolio exchanges are often for printmakers and you're printing on the paper. um, But this is really minimal to no printmaking. It's just about the paper and using pulp to create your image. And, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been getting all the submissions in and shipments, and it's so exciting. Each time we open a package, like, oh, paper can do that? Paper can do that, too? I had no idea. Um, but yeah, that's that's a whole other world yeah. that I'm sure I would, I would love to. What was really interesting, we did a workshop at uh, PAM with, um, I think it was for a second Saturday or something, and it was um, an, um, an American artist, US American artist, who was actually working in Berlin with refugees. And um, the workshop that he did here was that he had clothing from from soldiers. And it was like the Marines and it was like from the army, so they have different colors, right? And he would kind of, um, you know, break it down, like cut it up or something and turn that into pulp. Oh, wow. And so um, it, it, or put it into the pulp. I don't know yeah. exactly how he did it. It was a huge mess, but uh, it, it worked really well. So the paper was like, if we used like the um, the pilots, I think they are blue or the navy is blue. I don't know, but um, but it was like all these different colors. And it, the idea was actually to, for, for example, with the refugees, he would use like their clothes, like in to make paper out of it like their old clothes and then fabric because when you liquefy it and then you blend it it kind of sort of all becomes very kind of blended it in a way the the couple times that I've taken a workshop uh, the beginning part of it has always been like tearing down strips of cotton fabric so yeah yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of potential there that's really interesting yeah I thought it was interesting because it's kind of like and then we we did prints on them so it's kind of oh, like this cool. idea of like using clothing uh, or, you know, he does it also with uh, the refugees, you know, their own clothing and yeah. then they can write kind of like almost like a story or like, a, you know, on the paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought that was really, really interesting. Like this idea of fiber in printmaking is kind of interesting. Yeah. And did the colors like stand out on their own or do they kind of all sort of like bleed out? And yeah. Well, he, muddy he, or? he kind of uh, divided them up. So it was like 
one was more greenish oh, one gotcha. was more yeah they, he didn't really make like an image like you said yeah, yeah. you could kind of like mm-hmm. put different colors and then right. make an image i think we mm. maybe fooled around a little bit with it but it was not but i thought that was really interesting mm. yeah I wanted to ask you, Sammy, um, the different pieces that, for example, you have on your website, you do see this transition from um, on the wall installations to more like sculptural pieces on a pedestal to um, some more digital prints. Um, How do you pick and choose how a piece is going to end up coming to fruition? Like what what how do you select the the material or the actual end product? Mm hmm. I think a lot of my practice is pretty intuitive and I'm either like making and reflecting as I go or reflecting after, um, but really just sort of like trusting that that's part of the process. But I do find as interested as I am in sculpture and installation, I don't I have yet to make something that's like truly in the round, you know. It's always still sort of attached to a wall or mm-hmm. it's sitting on a table. And part of that might just be um cuz I'm still sort of tiptoeing into sculpture in some ways. Uh but there's a piece that I made that was it consisted of a bunch of acrylic that had been laser engraved and then welded together and it has a lot of blue to it. Um, and that's on a wall ultimately because I wanted, I wanted the viewer to be able to step back from it and to be able to get up close. And so you could have this experience of like a larger form come together, uh, because you know, with something like that, it's like, it could also be on a table. Um, but I think it just, it, a lot of it depends on, you know, what I want the viewer's experience to be. Um, I would love to make smaller works that could be interactive. I'm sort of starting to do that in little ways, but mostly because I'm living in a very small space. <laughs> so yeah, that changes your by limitations yeah. are great for artists. I yeah. think it's always yeah. like it brings out really, you know, creative solutions then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's given me permission in some ways too to go small because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of you know, and critique and things like that. It's always like, have you thought about making this bigger? <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> and, um, it's a standard, right? Yeah. Like, and it, of course, it's really exciting to do that. But mm-hmm. even when I've, even when I've made large scale things, they can either be folded up and put away or they're created sort of like modularly in pieces so that they can be taken apart. And um, some of those are practical measures, but a lot of them are, because I'm really interested in, I think, fragmentation and images that sort of piecemeal together, um, like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my my constraints for making, I don't I don't really have much room, and so it's kind of given me permission to work on really small things, which is nice. Tinier. Does your some of your pieces actually come to life through the act of installation? Like you, you have all these things made, but you're not sure exactly how they're gonna end up um, looking. I think mm-hmm. on the wall, but then you just start to say, "Okay, this goes here, this goes here," and then eventually it comes to life. Or do you already have in your mind a preordained location for where everything's supposed to go? It almost always comes together through installation. I think, okay. um, and I love. Uh, exhibition install for that reason it's like I don't get to really see the the work come together until that point sometimes um and again you know it it still allows a lot of room for intuition and sort of I love placement like I love arranging and uh I think install you know is very much about that both the piece itself and its relationship to the pieces around it um and so it, there's a lot of sort of like stress that comes with, oh, I hope this works out because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> um, but, but I like it too. <laughs> it becomes kind of site specific then if you don't really know where it's supposed to go. And yeah. The In space a way, tells you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But then I don't, you know, I don't want to have to wait for an exhibition to see the work come together. So that's like a, a challenge, I guess of working that way finding sometimes like walls, you know. right finding finding space to do it 
but I really like I like having that um, that level of sort of mystery and what it looks like <laughs> until the end. Yeah, yeah. So funny. I think um, I think that is something that I've experienced as well that I can relate to. That it's like it's like something different if you have like the work even in a studio. You know, if you have it or if you have like space around it or you have like you just just this, this space. You know, like this. Um, you're getting you're kind of being spoiled with space because I always feel like I don't have enough you know I would would need more or I would but I feel like in in exhibitions like that is a real treat when you can actually start thinking about the relation between the pieces because you have the space to actually put them closer or further away right yeah so I feel like that is always something that is that I value about the stress of putting a show together. You know, it's kind of interesting like that. I had that experience recently um, because when I, when I, you know, I have access to print studios, but I don't really have access to a private space to make work outside of my home, which is, as I mentioned, really small. So I do have a really large kitchen countertop. Mm -hmm. And so that's often where I end up working. And I was working on a piece for a show um, and oh my God, it was just, I wasn't feeling it. I felt, I I was just going back and forth. Like, what am I doing? I don't know what's happening. Like, I don't think this is coming together. I can't see this resolving. And then when I actually got it in the space and had like, you know, white walls around it, I just realized how much visual clutter, you know, I just couldn't see the work Mm. with, um, you know, kitchen utensils, which, which is valid. (laughs) But, um, yeah, even in our, even in a proper studio space, there's so much visual clutter Mm -hmm. and it's nice to be surrounded by things, but it's really sometimes hard to just see what you're making. Yeah. 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 I agree. Mm-hmm. So um, after you went to the University of South Florida, you also got your master's degree, right? Mm-hmm. At FAU, Florida Atlantic University, yeah, right? Yeah, in how Boca. Was, how was that for you? And when was that decision? Like, did you go straight from like undergrad to grad or how was that decision? Take a to year go? off, to, yeah. Mm-hmm. I took two years off. Um, I actually went back and taught printmaking at my high school. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So I kept in touch with So that. they took you back right away? Right you know, away. I mentioned Marcia Christo, my printmaking teacher, and she, she was just an amazing, amazing person. Mm-hmm. And I just let her know that I was interested in it, and she took on more drawing classes so that I could teach some of her printmaking classes. That's incredible. It was crazy. And so, yeah, it was just very serendipitous and... Um, it was nice to, I really value that experience because I got to go from being her student to like working alongside her and build mm-hmm. a totally new relationship with her. But um, I realized that I loved teaching while I was there and uh, just kind of wanted more freedom and opportunities to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after a couple of years, I started thinking about grad school and um it just, the timing was right to, I had uh, a limited window where I could access some funding from the veterans actually to go back to school mm-hmm. and that I didn't qualify for uh, in undergrad and t- I qualified for it later through my dad. And uh, it just, I was like, well, I better go now. <laughs> Take the um, opportunity to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, uh, I was a little bit attached to Florida. I've never you didn't want to leave anymore. I wasn't ready was like, to li- uh-huh. leave, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it kind of worked out that I went to FAU. My experience there was sort of weird because I was, you know, I went in at, as a printmaking sort of focus, uh, but there was a different head of printmaking each year that I was there. So there was a lot of like weird instability, even though I got to work with three very different um, professors that, I mean, they couldn't have been more different from each other. And so I got to really see uh, these, I had very different experiences each year, um, which a lot of it was valuable, but I didn't even make a print, you know, or spend that much time in the studio. I think my first two years, because I just, I was also the only person focusing in printmaking there. It's a, it's a relatively small program. And so, 
yeah, I spent more time on the laser cutter or, um, you know, in, I wasn't necessarily in different studios, but I was working in like sculpture, photography, um, really exploring. Yeah. And it was kind of the first time that I gave myself the freedom to explore. Like, yeah, I'm focusing on printmaking, but if nobody's telling me I have to make a print, then I guess I'm not going to. <laughs> like, I kind of just want to experience other things. So, mm-hmm. um, they do have really good faculty there and I got great, great feedback. Um, like a, I got a really strong committee that I still maintain and value my relationships with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What did your portfolio look like going in? Was it like stuff that you had done in undergrad or stuff that he had done within that two year window? Cause I feel like there's, there's a growth that happens mm-hmm. um, post school that you don't have people with critiques anymore. You don't have your classmates whispering and looking at your artwork and yeah. all these things or outsiders saying you should do this, you should do that. And so I feel like that's your you time that you sometimes do yeah, things you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, that's a funny question because I was just thinking about that the other day. I was picturing what like my slideshow looked like that I applied with. And um, it's, you know, when you leave undergrad, at least for me, I had just started to hit my stride and like actually understanding my work and what I wanted to make. And a lot of what my work was about in undergrad was really like longing and homesickness because I was, even though I was just on the other coast of Florida, I was intensely homesick. <laughs> and I just, I don't know, I didn't have um, that college experience where. I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't meet a lot of people. I felt sort of isolated. And so it, it encouraged my work in an interesting way, but, um, yeah. So I started thinking about home and, uh, how your relationship to home changes, especially at that like point in your life, you're kind of thinking about creating your own sense of place for the first time. And, um, you know, what's this ideal place for me totally and all I could identify that was that I wasn't in it and so I started making a lot of like landscape based work that felt very I wanted it to be sort of um, accessible or familiar enough to where you could look at it and feel like that might be a real place but also ambiguous enough or sort of strange enough that maybe it didn't exist. And so that's how I was starting to sort of work out ideas about home at that time. And then, so I graduate and I go back home, <laughs> like immediately. And then you have this realization that it's just not the same place anymore, you know? And so this place that you've been longing for kind of doesn't exist because it's this per- perfect sort of combination of the people that are there and the time you're there and, um, you know, you've been gone for four years and it's just not the same. And so the work shifted in those two years to be more about that, um, integrating more memory, I think, into the work. And it was really collage based. It was a lot of collage, light painting, and um, very lightly sculptural too. I sort of tiptoed into anything sculptural I had a little bit of like imposter syndrome, I think, with sculpture. (laughs) I think because printmaking is so technical, you know, that with other uh, with other art forms and mediums, I would feel like, oh, I didn't study that. So I don't know if I'm like allowed (laughs) to do this, which is really silly. Um, But yeah, I always loved sculpture and I would just kind of I would layer up paper. I had a lot of these. I was working with this peephole uh, motif because I wanted the viewer to peer into a space as a way of cr- like simulating a sense of longing, you know? So like exposing you to a snippet of a place, um, but not allowing you access into it. And so I had a lot of peepholes in Those my- Your lit <laughs> landscapes, correct? Yeah. What kind of materials did you use for that other than paper? It was like LEDs or- That was, yeah. So. Uh, they were in the center of them are little gouache paintings that I layered with or I kind of sculpted the landscape elements with wax and uh, then I just peeled away the paper of 
the painting on the back to the point where it was transparent enough to where I could put a little LED light behind it. I loved light. That I still love incorporating light in work, mm-hmm. but it's such a can of worms. You know, it's like how much time do I want to dedicate to understanding how to like harness light? I really do, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. So I think you do notice it in some of your pieces that you're playing with it or you're interested in it. Also, I like this idea of translucent or like yeah. looking through. Or mm-hmm. I feel like that's in your work as well. Mm-hmm. Also in this image that Elisa found, it's kind of like, sounds like you're looking, I don't know, through water or it's through... like multi-layered, yeah. Yeah, it's like these layers, but also, yeah, like this, like a soft light in it. I, mm-hmm. I do see that in your work. Oh. Yeah, and I think uh, whenever I've... Even when I sort of steered away from that peephole, I still wanted, I played a lot with translucent or transparent materials. Mm -hmm. Again, as a way, you can see through them, but it's still like a physical barrier. And so it was still very much, that material choice was always about creating a sense of longing still, or sort of like physical barrier between what you're seeing and where you are. I'm curious to know, because you mentioned, um, I feel like we are our own worst critics, but then I feel like sometimes our parents have expectations of us. Your mom, as a printmaker, um, was she like a traditional printmaker, like making editions, or was she experimental in the sense that you are experimental? How does she respond to your type of printmaking? I think... um, Like, what conversations do you have? I think when she was in school, it it was a lot more formal, and... Uh, she didn't it wasn't so much like conceptual you know and I think um, that was always really interesting to her when she saw me start you know get deeper into art Um, my experience was really different from hers and I think she likes to experiment but her her exploration was much more traditional you know and she did that she ended up going on to more like commercial she did more like marketing and graphic design professionally so she she really got really far away from it but she still loves it and anytime I you know teach a workshop or something like that if she comes I can just see it she's totally a printmaker in there like the way that she's layering materials um but she because she's been away from it so long she's very like yeah she's very self-critical very hesitant about creating um but yeah, we had pretty different experiences, I think, in that way. Yeah, I was just thinking about the, we met, we go about mentioning roles and play here sometimes, and I think that when you are in school, there are, like, you're, you're taught the rules, like, this is how this works, and blah, 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 and they're, like, the parameters, like, the box. You're basically, you're put in the box, you're shown the box. <laughs> and then as you progress, you're like, I don't want to be in this box anymore. Mm-hmm. Most people, right? Right. Um, so I was very curious about that. Yeah, I think I think she maybe never got to see the other side of that, which is sad, but she got all the sort of technical stuff and I would love to see, you know, if she was asked to create like a body of work outside of, you know, assignments and learning techniques, like what would my mom's work look like, you know? <laughs> but you can uh, dare her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, totally. I you know, I, I say that this is sort of my, my philosophy, but when I teach you know, I always teach traditionally first and then we baby step our way to, okay, now let's break all the rules and, you know. Um, I sometimes try and, like, leave enough room to do that, though, because if you're too strict, you know, they don't they don't always, like, see the potential of what's possible. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, kind of like this, uh, this connection between your own process and and the medium. I feel like that is kind of, sometimes it gets lost if you're too technical about it, right? But you, um, so after graduating, you were a teaching artist also at Norton, is that true? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and now you're, you're a fac, um, faculty, no, um, what is it called, adjunct faculty? Yeah, at Mm -hmm. FAU, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I I teach uh, printmaking one and two, a lot of woodcut, and uh, relief oh. processes, which is funny because I'm really more interested in intaglio. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, like anything, you get it, it's nice to teach something that's sort of out of your comfort zone because you get better at it and it informs. You know, uh, it is that opens your up. choice? What do you like? Can you choose what you teach the kids, or is there a, uh, some I kind can of choose? Syllabus? Like, there's certain. 
I, I, I teach relief not as my choice initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of freedom in like the projects that I give and stuff, but there's, you know, there's certain like kind of benchmarks Parameters that you, totally and, you have to hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But within that, it's, it's pretty open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How has your experience teaching in those different fields, you know, from being like, um, oh, well, high school or middle school? What was the first teaching I job? High school. High school to. I can't imagine middle school. I can't. That's that's what Elisa does. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, I I did that one year, and honestly, it reminded me when I was in middle school, and it's like the drama, the hormones. Um, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you think you're an adult, but you're really just a, obviously mm-hmm. in between. Yeah. You're an in between. And then what is that? It's meh. It's like meh. Yeah. So I don't think, yeah, middle school teachers out there, thank you for what you do and yeah. for your patience. Yeah, really. Really. Um, because that's phenomenal. But the, I'm guessing I agree with Maria. Like, what was the difference between teaching high school kids that are essentially not paying for the program versus right. college kids that are paying for their class? And also teaching artists. Like, the, yeah. that's a kind of like Oh, a, my gosh. They're all so different. Um, I would say <laughs> one of the biggest differences in a great way from going to high school to college was no parents. Love that. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of teaching high school, it was still very specific and that it was an arts high school. And there was, you know, a little bit of a baseline, like, these kids are in this class because they want to be, they could have chosen painting, you know, but they chose permaking or whatever it might be. Uh, but then it's really frustrating to, especially as a, as a teacher, when you start to see the audition process, you know, that's always kind of disheartening sometimes, but then seeing students that do get in that aren't as motivated and that don't want to be there, it's super sad. Um, but there's kind of a similar experience with college sometimes too, because you know they're taking. I have a lot of graphic design students that take printmaking with a really, really loose, limited understanding of what it is, um, and in some cases they're working with their hands for the first time and getting messy for the first time. Um, but so sometimes it's an elective, sometimes it's chosen really intentionally. Uh, but I think. Comparing college to an arts high school was kind of similar. The main difference was the parents, but um, not that I actually had to deal that too much with parents. But as far as like more public free workshops, like working at a museum, I feel like teaching is a lot of uh, sort of like salesmanship where people walk in and, you know, they might just be passing by a workshop and they don't think they can draw, you know, or they're, they're really scared to participate. And so a lot of that conversation is just kind of like, you know, just, I'm not, I won't even look at it. Just sit down and just try. And for a lot of people, it's really exciting to see them be creative on a Thursday, you know, when they probably haven't ever or in a really long time and there's something really nice about that I'm not Mm -hmm. obviously worried about results or looking at the final product in any way it's just kind of getting people to have that sort of childlike wonder again is exciting Mm -hmm. totally um do you have any projects or exhibitions that you're or maybe even trips that you're excited about that are coming up within the next few months uh well the main one that I mentioned was the in exchange. Um, and other than that, I'm really just trying to make more work and spend more time in my studio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Teaching any workshops? Uh, teaching so many workshops <laughs> all the <laughs> time. <laughs> uh, I, I teach a lot of workshops at IS projects. Um, I have a letterpress intensive coming up, or it's really an introduction to letterpress. Anybody can try it out, but uh, if you like puzzles, you'll like letterpress. Letterpress is not something that I explored at all before going to IS Projects, and I kind of fell in love with it. I love teaching it. I don't use it in my work that much. Um, 
yeah, there's a, there's a lot of workshops going on. I can't think of any right now. But and We're going to link your website to ours. I've been meaning to take the cyanotype one, but I never... Oh, yeah, that one's really fun. <laughs> I want to take that. Um, Maria has one final Very question. Last question. You. You've been sitting in a magical rocking chair, mm. and it grants you three wishes. You can wish for anything or everything, but you have to say it out loud for it to come true. <laughs> These are the rules of the rocking okay. chair. Okay, all right. Okay. So what are your three wishes? I kind of knew this was coming, so I did have some time to think You're about it. You're the only good. person to say, like, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I know, because I've listened, listened to the to podcast, and everyone asked so surprised. Oh, thank you but, for your support. But it's still hard to come up with three wishes, even with time. Um, but, okay. <laughs> I still feel on the spot. But So, my three wishes. I guess the first one is selfishly you know, financial security and health for myself and my loved ones. Um, One thing that I find myself wishing for on a daily basis is more time. (laughs) So more time, you know, dedicated to making work, spending time with people I love and the things that I feel like really matter. (laughs) And, um, I wish for continued inspiration and that sense of wonder when making work. Those are all good things. Thank you for sitting Wonderful. with us, Sammy. Thank you for, for having me. Thank you so much, Sammy, and thank you, Elisa. And I'm hoping the cars that drive themselves will give you more time eventually yeah, when that happens. A, yeah, maybe. That would be a good Happening option. very soon. Happening Fingers crossed. <laughs> For the artists, right? We'll see y'all next You can make something in the week. car yeah. like a small piece. I would totally sleep. Like, I'm not even going to lie. I would sleep and let them drive. It's not a bad idea, right? Yeah. Um, thank you to our listeners. Um, it is Give Miami Day coming up, I believe. We normally don't like to ask for um, donations because it's embarrassing. Um, we're trying to reach our goal of at least 500 so it could pay for our website and for SoundCloud next year, and it could pay for itself. Um, we do this, you know, because we like it, but um, those things we do have to pay for. So if you've got any money that's extra that you could give, whether it's a dollar, a penny, whatever, please give. And um, we've got totes and um, cups that we'll be sending out to some random donors for their good deeds. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Sammy, for visiting. And we will see you all next week on RCS Rock and Cheer Sessions. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>